0: Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You may be seated. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And it is so because Paul Paul lays out for us in, in such wonderful words, our entire spiritual life. He, he lays out for us from beginning at our birth where we are at when we are born, when, where we are in our sin, and He walks us all the way through God redeeming us, and then He walks us on to the point where God in us begins to develop our Christian nature And we begin to show the world what Christ has done in our heart. And He does all of that in in ten verses. From the beginning where we start in verse 1, He has told them all throughout chapter 1 about about this inheritance that they have. He has told them about the great grace that God has shown. He has lifted up Christ and shown where Christ has been raised to the heavenly places, where, where God has set Him at His right hand. He spends all of chapter 1 talking about Jesus. And so when he gets to chapter 2, he begins to tell them. He begins to tell the Ephesian church, okay, this is who Christ is. This is what He has done in giving His life, in dying in our place. And now, here is what your life can look like. And should look like because you have been redeemed by this great Creator. You have been given this great salvation through Christ and His death on the cross. Isn't it good that Paul doesn't leave us out? Isn't it even better that Christ has not left us out? That while God has done all of these things to Christ and through Christ... We are included. And as you read through these verses, what you see is the parallel of what we have been given, what God has done in Christ, and then what happens to us as an effect of that. He starts out in verse two, I mean in verse one of chapter two, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you." once walked. He begins to tell the church at Ephesus about their former life. If you notice and you go throughout this entire passage, you are going to see a stark contrast between where we were, what happened to us, and where we're going. And this is very important because I think sometimes we, especially in America, have adopted this idea that somehow being a Christian is a cultural thing. So if you are in the Bible Belt, then you are a Christian. If you have been to church ever in your life, or if you were baptized at a young age, or if your grandparents are faithful to the church, then that makes you a Christian, I've even heard people go so far as to say, well, I have been a Christian my entire life. And unfortunately, pastors and churches throughout the last hundred years have not done a very good job of telling people, no, you haven't. We haven't done a great job of pointing to people that just because you live in Burke County or North Carolina or the Bible Belt, that does not make you a Christian. As a matter of fact, my argument would be that living in the Bible Belt, living in Burke County, living in North Carolina often makes it much harder for people to come to faith in Christ. Because you and I could go this morning and we could find person after person who lives within driving distance of this church who have never stepped foot in a church, who have never proclaimed faith in Christ, who have never stood up and boldly proclaimed the Gospel, but believe that they are a Christian. And Paul says to the church at Ephesus, No, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. Friends, we are born separated from God. We are born sinful with no hope. And even if you are born in Burke County, if you live your life from beginning to end without Christ, you will die and you will go to hell just as quickly as a Muslim in the Middle East who never proclaims Christ, as a Buddhist in Southeast Asia who never proclaims Christ, as an atheist in Europe who never proclaims Christ. Why? Because... He says, we were dead in our trespasses. He says, in which you once walked. He's talking to believers, so in verse 2 he says, you once walked in these sins and trespasses. You were following the course of this world. You're not following the course of Christ. You were not following after Him, but you were following the things of this world. You are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You are following your sinful nature. You are following the things that are in direct disobedience to God. See, if we talk to those people who have become culturally insensitive and they believe that they are believers because they live at a certain place, what you'll find out is these things are evident in their life. People live however they want. They live and embrace the things of this world, but at the same time will call themselves believers. He wants us to remember that that is not the case. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like who? Like the rest of mankind. Why does God need to save us Why does God need to give us grace and mercy? Why does God need to show His compassion upon us? It is because we have no hope. When we were living like the world, when we were following the world, when we were living in our sin and our trespasses, when we were following after Satan himself and his spirit was at work within us, when we were doing all of those things, we needed to be saved. The most difficult thing for you and I in the culture in which we live is convincing people that they need saving. Because unfortunately, we for too long have told people they were okay. We've told them that they were fine. We've told them that they had nothing to worry about. We have, we have taken their word that they were okay and never looked at their life and said, friend, you need Christ. I think about how often I have sat in hospital rooms with people who are nearing the end of their life and they were so far gone there wasn't one more opportunity to tell them about Christ. And when you have the job that I have, what you do is often watch people leave this world and go to the next, and so many times leave with no hope. But many of them close their eyes for the last time believing they were okay. It's because we don't think we need a Savior. It's obvious when we look at the world and how people live, they do not believe they need something. And so they continue living with the desires of the flesh, in verse 3, and of the mind. They continue to be children of wrath. And they walk through this life, and they leave it with no hope. Friends, this is a call for you and I to be obedient to the Gospel. This is for you and I to proclaim the Gospel. Because if we don't, what we are saying is that we do not care that people die in their sin and trespasses. We do not care that people die in their disobedience. That's what we're saying, isn't it? We can't justify it any other way. But it's what we're proclaiming. If we don't tell them that they need a Savior and that one is available. So Paul goes and tells them about their former life and then he begins to tell them about the mercy that they have experienced. And friends, this is the mercy that is available to others. Look in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. How many times... Do you read the Bible and you see these people did this, this person did this, these people were called in their sin, these people rebelled against God, and then you get to a verse like this and it says, but God does something different. We do this and that. We live in our sin. We live in our trespasses. We follow the spirit of this world. We follow after the direction of this world. But then we come to verse 4 and he says, but God... And you, verse 1, but God, verse 4. This is us. This is who we are. This is how unworthy we are. And friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, understand this. When He is saying, and you, this is what you did. He's talking about me. He's talking about the people who are gathered here. He's not just talking about you who don't know Christ. He's talking about us as well. This was us. He says, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. Not we were dying. Not we were hurting. Not we needed some help. We were Dead. See, so often we think of the Christian faith as some type of therapeutic moralism. In other words, we we want a little bit of God to make us feel better. If we'll get a little bit of God, maybe on a Sunday morning or maybe a couple times a month, if we get a little bit of God, that'll make us feel better because sometimes we get down about ourselves. Or sometimes we get down about the world around us. Paul doesn't say you you need a little therapy. You need a little God. He says you were dead. A dead person is incapable of doing anything. A dead person is not even able to think again about being alive. Think about that. A dead person can't even have a desire to be alive again. That is the spiritual condition that we found ourselves. But God, being rich in mercy, you and I are, from the moment of our birth, we run as far and as fast as we can to get away from God. We see it as our children learn the word no early on. And they keep saying it and saying it and saying it. And as they get older, it becomes worse and worse. We see our nature as we run from God with all the speed that we can muster. And yet, when we turn and look behind us, there is God pursuing us with everything he has there is God running full force after us there is God being rich in mercy there is God showing us the great love with which he loved us he is there pursuing us time and time and time again and what we see is he offers us something far greater than a a pat on the back, and a help. If you go back into chapter 1, you see time and time again the talk about inheritance. The inheritance that we have. And then we get to the end of chapter 1 and we see Christ being raised from the dead. In verse 21, being raised far above rule and authority and power and dominion. Being given the name that is above every name that is named. Having all things, in verse 22, put under His feet. And look what He says in chapter 2, verse 6 for us. And He raised us up with Him. He raised us up with Christ. And He seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Do you see the parallel there? In, in, in chapter 1, God raises Christ up. Paul talks about Christ when He was raised from the dead, when He was ascending into heaven, God set Him at His right hand. He gave Him the place of honor. He gave Him the position of authority. It's a beautiful picture of the Father showing love to His Son. But then we get to chapter 2, and, and Paul says, not only has Christ been raised to that position of authority, not only has Christ been raised to the right hand of the Father, but but he has raised us up with him. He has seated us with him where at the right hand, that's where Christ is. Christ is at that place of prominence, that place of love, that place of grace. That's where Christ sits. And now Paul says, we have been raised to sit there too. We have been put in that position We have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Look at verse 7. So that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Friends, there is no more stark contrast in the scriptures than where we are in verses 1 through 3 to where we are seated in verses 1 through, I mean in verses 4 through 7. We have went from following after Satan himself, from having a life that was nothing but sinful to the ages to come in verse 7 being seated at the right hand of the Father with all the riches of his grace and mercy. We have went from the worst of the worst to a child of the king of the universe. That's where God has taken us. Friends, that's where God wants to take you. Again, it's not about getting a little help on Sunday morning. It's not about feeling a little better about ourselves. It's the fact that God has taken us from our sin and despair and our trespasses and given us everything. More than we could ever imagine having. Friends, that's why we have Vacation Bible School. That's why we have mission trips. That's why we have ministry outreach. Is because people live in their sin and despair. They live with no hope. And we have a message not about having a little bit of hope in this life. About getting your life straightened out about getting off the drugs or or to stop cheating on your wife or to stop abusing your kids. We, We don't have a message that's just about that. We have a message about being a child of the God of the universe, about going from the lowest of lows to the highest possible place imaginable. That's a pretty cool message. It's a product that, if you're a salesman, the pitch is amazing. We have a great message. But how do we get it? How do we communicate it to people? How do we tell them that they can have what we have? If you're here this morning, you might be wondering, how do I go from this place where I don't know Christ to becoming a child of the King? Well, he says it in verse 8. He says, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. You're not, it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved. Friends, there is nothing this morning that you can do to get yourself to God. Now, to some of you, that may sound like a message of despair because you work awfully hard to please God you strive day in and day out to be pleasing to God he says listen it's it's my grace it's my gift it's not of your own doing so that no one may boast the only thing that we have to brag about this morning is what Christ has done I can't brag that as an 11 year old boy that i i was obedient and i walked forward down that aisle and i i asked that preacher to to tell me what must i do to be saved and and i prayed that great prayer and that's what took care of it i have vague memories of that day i have little parts that i remember because it has been so ingrained into my mind. But one thing I know for sure is that as an 11-year-old boy, when I went down to the front, it, it wasn't because I was just gung-ho to do it. Because people had tried to get me to do it before. I was in a church uh, that urged you to go forward, that wanted you to come and be saved. And that's a good thing, but I had never responded because I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I want to know God, but it's a long aisle to walk. It's about twice as long as this one. And we sat near the back. Everybody's going to look as you're going forward. But on that day, God spoke and He said, go. Friends, on that day, He showed me the immeasurable mercy and grace that He has shown so many others. It was not through me, but it was through the faith that God gave me. How do we tell people to know Christ? How do we tell people? Do we need a 12-step plan? Do we need a, a, a nicely written sinner's prayer? No, we tell them that they must turn from their sin and believe in Christ. Repent and believe. The Bible says it over and over again. Repent and believe. Turn from yourself. Turn from your running away. Turn to God and believe that He is sufficient. Believe that what Christ did on the cross is enough. Friends, we have been saved by this great grace. We have been taken from the bottom. We have been taken from our lowest point and raised with Christ and it has happened through His grace. That's what we tell people. That's what we help people to understand. Is that they're dead. They're dead in their trespasses. They're dead to the point where they cannot even desire to live again. But Christ saves sinners. Christ saves dead men. And God showed us that most plainly, but most profoundly, when Christ who had been in the grave for three days is called forth. When God speaks out of eternity and Christ is risen. And through that we have the promise of life everlasting we were dead we have been made alive and it is through his grace so what's our response what's your response this morning what do you what do you do with what paul has written what god has said in his word look at verse 10 he says we are his workmanship he has made us He has crafted us, He has taken us from being dead, and He has put us together again and made a lie. And we have been created for a purpose. Look what he says in the second part of the verse. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now every time we read that passage, I think sometimes we get drawn to the book of James. If you're familiar with the book of James... James talks about works, and he talks about faith, and he says, faith without works is dead. And some people have tried to say, well, James is talking about a, a, a works-based salvation. He's trying to say that you work your way to God. And That's not what he's saying at all. Paul is telling us here, and James echoes the same thing. Because we have been saved, we have been saved to do good things for the glory of God. To do good works. So, you may say, well, God has saved me through grace. That is very much true. But He has not saved you to an inactive life. He has not saved you to apathy. He has not saved you to laziness when it comes to His things. Now, there are a lot of Christians who have no desire to do the things of God. And I should clear that up. There are a lot of people who claim to be Christians who have no desire to do the things of God. But God has saved us to an active lifestyle. He has saved us to do good things in His name. He has not simply saved us to be good people. He has not saved us to be nice people. But He has saved us to do good works for His glory. He has saved us to be on mission for Him, to be obedient for Him, to share the Gospel for Him, to be charitable for Him, to be loving for Him, to be kind for Him. He has saved us for all of those things. Now the great part, he says in the third part of this verse, because sometimes I think we get confused about what that looks like, sometimes I know we are concerned about our ability to do good things. We're worried about what people will think. We're worried about whether or not we got the resources. Look at what he says at the end of verse 10. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has already taken care of what He has for you to do. He prepared it beforehand. He prepared it before you were ever born. He prepared what He has for you to do for His glory before the world was created. Before the world was created. He knew you. He knew who you would be. He knew when you would come to Him. And He knew what you would do with it afterwards. And some of you understand that that's very much true. Because you look at your life before, you look at the darkness in which you once walked, you look at the grace by which He saved you, and you understand that only by His grace are you here, and only by His grace have you done anything in His name. He created you for good works in Christ Jesus and then prepared them for you. Listen, you can't find a point in the Bible that I'm aware of, where God demands that people be dependent upon themselves to do something for Him. To the contrary, we find time after time where God says, do this, somebody does something else, and it all falls apart. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah goes the other way. The ship almost sinks, he gets eaten by a whale, he gets spit up on dry land, and he still makes the journey to Nineveh. God gives David a kingdom, a kingdom that surpassed all others in the history of his people. But David said, I'm going to do it my way. And he sees Bathsheba, and he has an affair with her, and God punishes him. And then he does it God's way. He tells the children of Israel to go in and destroy everything, and when they don't, they face defeat. He tells Saul that you are not going to make this sacrifice, and he does so anyway, and God takes the kingdom away from him. God never makes us dependent upon ourselves. But he does say that we have been created for good works. So my friends, the question this morning is, do you and I have a good sense of where we have been and where God has taken us? Because I think most of us, most of the time, we live right there in the middle. We don't really see ourselves as ever having been that bad. And we never believe that we're ever going to be that good. We, we, never, we never put all the all the bad stuff behind. We never take all our sin and trespasses and say, that was the old us. We hold on to a little bit of it, but we say, you know, I, I'm not the pastor. I, I'm not a deacon. I'm not a Sunday school teacher, so I can kind of slide by. I'll come to church, but I'm just going to slide by. I'm not going to embrace the inheritance that I have as a child of God. I'm not going to embrace the place that I have been given at the right hand of the Father. I am going to, I'm going to slide by. I was never that bad, but I'll never be that good. I never did too many bad works, and I, I'll probably never do too many good works. Friends, that's where most of us live most of the time. That's where we spend our lives. We we discount. You know, how much could I have done at, at eight and nine and ten years old? I've seen my ninth birthday video. I look like a pretty good kid. I laughed when this one kid in red jogging breeches fell down the hill, but other than that, was I doing that much bad stuff? And the truth is I was as sinful then as a 9-year-old boy, as a 10-year-old boy, as anyone you would go and find at the most maximum security prison we have in the United States, as the darkest terrorist, the most dark-hearted, evil person who lived in Pakistan or Afghanistan, I was as sinful as they were. I needed a Savior. And so did they. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Christ, my hope and prayer is that you would see that He is calling out to you with His grace and mercy. He is offering it to you for free. It is a gift. You can do nothing to earn it, but He gives it out of His love. But friends, for the rest of us, if Christ has saved you, He has not saved you to an inactive life where you have nothing to do. He has not saved you to just get by and take up a place in a pew and be a church member. He has saved you to embrace His goodness. He has saved you to spread His gospel. And He has promised us all the riches of His mercy that are to come. If you're here this morning and you feel like, you know, I'm not doing what God has called me to do in my life. I'm not, I'm not living up to the potential. I'm not living in the good works that He has prepared beforehand. This morning, He calls us to cry out to Him, God, use me. God, here I am. The salvation that He's given us, is, it's greater than I can describe. It's greater than I could describe in a million sermons. It's greater than I could... It's described in ten thousand books and he's given it to us. Will we live like the inheritance that we've been given? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God your your grace is God, not only is it free, not only is it a great gift, but God, it is sufficient. It is sufficient to take vile sinners like we are and to lift us up, not to a place of neutrality, not to a place where we're just okay with you, not to a place where we're not on your bad side anymore, but... You even the score. No, You take us from the depths of our sin and You place us with Christ. You raise us up with Him and seat us in the heavenly places. We are put there beside Christ. You take us out of our sin and God, You give us this great hope and this promise and this inheritance that is far more than we can even imagine. God, there are many here this morning who don't know You. They have never turned from their sin, turned from their running, and put their faith in You. They've never proclaimed that Your grace is enough, Your atoning work on the cross is enough. They've never put their hope in what You have done on Calvary. God, I pray this morning that You are speaking out to them. You are showing them the depths of their sin. And God, You are... Pointing them toward your grace. God, I pray that they respond. And Lord God, for those here who know you. God, my question for all of us is, do we live like what we've been given? Do we live like the promise that we have been offered? God, we don't so often. God, we don't live like the promise we have in you. And so, God, this morning, I pray that all around this room, hearts will cry out to you. Voices will cry out to you, God, please help me. God, please direct my life. God, please show me the good works that you've prepared for me. God, show me the the heart that I'm to have. God, show me the grace that you have given me. God, I know that if that happens, God, you're going to do a mighty work among us even today. God, we thank you for who you are. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, if you would stand with me. Uh, We're going to sing uh, this song. Um, We're going to be led and if God is speaking to you in whatever manner this morning, um, I hope that it is that you'll respond as we sing.